Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Welcome to Saturday Morning Serial, the show that celebrates the themes of Saturday morning, which not only did we grow up with, but also grew up with us. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking to John Ratzenberger. That name doesn't get you excited. Well, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Well, we'll explain it to you. Uh, by the way, it's me, Dan Grimshay, because uh, when you need a host, you call me. Uh, when you need something close to a host, you call the guy close to me, Marky, sound off. Hi, how you doing, Grimshay? Hey, thanks for asking. Listeners, did you feel that warmth? Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> what? What's what that you say, mean? listeners? Not warm enough? Well, then, let me bring in Jimmy the Gent. Jimmy. Hey, howdy, hey, listeners. How's everybody doing today? All right, I hope that's doing it for you, because that's what you're getting. You're getting the three of us <laughs> and John Ratzenberger. Oh, my God. Who oh, come on. we struggled to define exactly how we were going to classify this show. He's that one guy. Well, now, it's easy to say that as long as you forget about his 11-year run as Cliff Clavin, which ended in the early 90s, so it turns out a wide swath of you probably do. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know what? That's good enough. He is, to you millennials at least, that one guy. Give me the music. Oh, who's that? That's, uh, oh, oh, he's, uh, 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 he's from, um, uh, with, with, uh, oh, he's that one guy, he's that one guy, he's that one guy, he's that one guy, uh, and the reason we have to qualify it is because of Cheers. Yeah. Those of you listening who only know it maybe tangentially, you can watch it on Netflix, you can binge it if you want, though it wasn't designed that Until way. Until January. I don't know when this episode drops, but uh, it's dropping there now. Yes, yes. God willing, it is before January 2021 right now. <laughs> uh, and, and we've got, uh, let me see, uh, a scant year and a half now to discuss this. We'll mm-hmm. try and condense it for you, though. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Wildly successful. Uh, early 80s to the early 90s. 11 years. NBC. Uh, it sat right next to the... Once vaunted Cosby Show, mm-hmm. uh, The Family Ties. Was it Must See TV? It it was yeah, before Must See TV. Yeah. Although there, you I, didn't have many other choices back then, right? Yeah. So you kind of had to watch it. Yeah. But it was, and and uh, it was a magical time for those who weren't around for this. This is when I grew up. This was my prime time renaissance. Yes, prime time at its best was. Cheers was involved in that. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the characters, the writing, it was actually really good TV. It still holds up. I've been watching it on Netflix. It holds up. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been doing the same. Yeah. So our friend that I got to talk to for a nice, long, rambling chat, uh, which you will hear when I deem it appropriate, uh, was uh, Mr. John Ratzenberger, oh, who played goodness. Cliff Clavin, the uh, know-it-all uh, mailman uh, bar fly. Yeah, know-it-all mailman. <laughs> because Cheers was a sitcom. I guess maybe we should take it this far back. Cheers was a sitcom Let's about a life in a bar. Cheers, right? We're talking about specifically life on Cheers. Yes. Yeah. For this John Ratzenberger. Yeah. 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 It was, this, was, this was life in a bar. And yeah. the way that they... They were really brilliant in the way that they they presented their characters. They were really honest. They were really consistent. And even in the naming of it, um, Sam Malone was like the uncle, you know, Uncle Sam, all-American athlete. He owned the bar. Yep. Former ball player, bought a bar. This all happened before the show started. Right. Um, and then you had Except Norm. The stage you know, for you. Uh, uh, famously, you had Norm, you yeah. know, who the was. The guy who would walk into the bar every episode and say, hey, everybody, and the entire bar would say, hey, hey Norm. Norm. Norm, because yeah. he was the normal guy. He was the guy that had the wife, and he wanted to go to the bar to kind of get to kind of get away from it all. Yeah, the alcoholic who hated his wife exactly norm he was the normal guy yeah <laughs> you had woody you had woody woody was the knucklehead test for a marquee there woody was the knucklehead right mm-hmm. he, he was the guy from like iowa he was kind of a, a little dumb woody harrelson yeah. obviously um but coach uh, of all of that not oh, obviously well, but so, so that those of you know uh the uh the drunk guy from the hunger games was on this show cheers yeah yeah exactly um but but Above it all, or below it all, was a character by the name of Cliff Clavin. Cliff, who I believe represented a guy on the edge, a guy on the edge of sanity, a guy that was, you know, this, this is, this, I believe. I do not was, endorse this description I, so far. I, I no, don't I, remember this in the production. <laughs> no, I think, I think <laughs> all of these you. names, I'm, I'm I think the, all of these names really do mean something. If you were to, sure. I'm sure Carla has some kind of meaning that I don't quite understand. But she, Cliff, drives, she drives in a city where mostly people take uh, public transport. Well, uh, famously speak of. Carla. Uh, famously, Cliff <laughs> is the wingnut that holds America together, isn't yes. it? Well, yeah. well, if you listen to the end of our chat, you'll hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, a bury the lead. And then it will be famous. <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, Cliff was, he kind of represented, you know, he was kind of a screwball. He was kind of a nut. He was, he was different. Uh, the know-it-all uh, mailman. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just, mailman he was also. Just, uh, he mailman written as a side character. Yes. Someone to occupy the bar who gradually grew into his right. own persona as the show went on. And also um, the the whole the whole idea that he is a mailman, which at the time mailmen were kind of going nuts and like really acting out, you know, uh, back in the eighties. Not, not a fair characterization. No, but. that was a little later. That was. More I think yeah. uh, I I think it's very well understood that the mailman was kind of crazy. So are you <laughs> saying all this in an effort to uh, explain his name having another meaning? No, I think it's just no. I think it, I think it, no. It's it's the the only thing that I'm trying to to. I, his his name is the meaning. This is a guy on the edge, the guy on the edge of just basically holding it together. There's uh there's like uh, there's uh, episodes of him going to the doctor, getting electric shock treatments. There's like, you know, um, there's just there's a bunch of of supporting material mm-hmm. that kind of suggests that this is a guy on the edge, and he's one of the funniest, most you know. 
uh, revered characters of all time. I, w- I would say his his more defining character trait, for those of you who don't know, and this is why we're explaining all this to you, his more defining character trait was that he just knew random trivia and wouldn't shut up. Yeah. That was, he was the, he was supposed to be the guy in the bar who's just always in your ear, the, yuck, yeah. yuck, yuck, yucking with stupid and, stuff. So he was the target a lot of their ridicule. He was the punchline to a lot of their jokes. Real That's quick. how he fit into the sitcom trope. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the Cliff Clavin character, but he was around so long, he took so many punches in front of us that all of us who grew up watching that show, he's got a special place in our heart. Oh, so it's yeah, well, absolutely. yeah, I grew up watching that show all through my life, loved it, and uh, Grimshay as well has spent many years behind the stick bartending at at many different venues and and different establishments, and I can guarantee you there is at least one of those guys. At every, every single, single oh, yeah. place that I've worked at and that I've been to, and I have I been that and guy at many bars, fair, and I, I've, you know, probably somebody. If if you don't know that, if you're wondering who that guy is at your bar, yeah, if you can't hey, find you're the that cliff. guy, <laughs> yeah. you're the cliff. <laughs> if you you're can. that guy, yeah. and and that and it's so well done. But I mean, of course, it didn't speak to me in later days when I got a job in a alcohol establishment. But yeah, <laughs> he is he is personification of that guy well, that yeah. that thinks he knows everything, and sometimes he's right, sometimes he's yeah. wrong. But but once you're established as that guy that knows everything, nobody really challenges you. That's right? the yeah. brilliance of yeah. that show, right? Is that yeah. they actually do get every single person that goes to bars. They have them all represented there, mm-hmm. and we can we can watch this show and see ourselves in this. And yeah. every single, you know, in, it was, it was a character. brilliant conceit for uh, for a, for a sitcom. Yeah. And then the writers actually pulled it off, and the characters we cared about. There were, I mean, people can describe. If you talk to a Cheers fan, they'll tell you, "Oh, the Diane years were the best," or "I missed the Coach years," mm-hmm. or "I didn't really get into it until the Woody years," yeah. or "Do you remember the Robin Colcord year?" I mean, there's <laughs> wow. defined eras in the chronology yeah. of Cheers. Eleven years. And to speak more specifically, you want that to cucumber Clay, uh, bruised. <laughs> Give me a screaming Viking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, thank these you. are all inside jokes that you listening obviously don't get. Clearly will not get. It's <laughs> on Netflix right now. Go get caught right. up. Yeah, yeah. You we'll, can. we'll yeah. wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, now Welcome you're back. back. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the the uh, here to give you my, my I guess my Cliff Clavin as please, it were. Please. This was the one I talk about it when I actually sat down with John uh, Ratzenberger over Skype. Humble, uh, hashtag humblebrag. <laughs> but this was uh, – there was a scene in one of the later episodes where Cliff Clavin, the bar know-it-all, actually got on to Jeopardy. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And they I got remember. to actually oh, yeah. go to the Jeopardy set. Alex Trebek and everybody yeah. was involved, and they filmed – I remember this Cliff so Cliff Clavin, who just – and it was just his day. Uh-huh. Like the punchline of the joke when he came on was that every single category was, the, was right up his right. alley. Yeah, it, it was like it was like, like it had to do with the like postal beer. system, yeah. bar <laughs> trivia, <laughs> right. I think celibacy. <laughs> he, he lived alone Mother's with his mother, so that, that worked into it. But it just lined up for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then so it you know smash cut to uh, uh, Final Jeopardy, and yeah. he has creamed him. Yeah, he's yeah. got like twenty two grand, yeah, twenty two thousand dollars to like a couple of bucks to the other two, but but he did not get lucky on the final Jeopardy question. Well, because and 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 he just he didn't have to bet anything. 
right? Because no yeah, one, yeah. nobody was going to catch him unless he does something really, really stupid. Yeah. And yeah, what does he do? Yeah. Current Jeopardy champions could tell you his strategy was terrible. Right. But <laughs> yeah. it was so but, bad but, that but even even the average viewer could classic say classic Clavin. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> and it was uh, in the end, it was a, a question about the uh, three celebrities who changed their names, and you had to figure out. You know who these celebrities oh, yeah. really were. I think I know. And the then answer. his answer was, and uh, as Marky would put it, his answer was famously, "Who are three people who've never been in my kitchen?" Yeah. <laughs> and, and it caused true. a whole meltdown <laughs> with Alex Trebek trying to handle him, and that was just—it's yeah. a touchstone memory. Oh, Me as a kid sitting on a couch with my parents, almost peeing my pants. Oh, One of the God. funniest things I ever saw on TV. And that's just the place that, you know, Cliff Clavin yelling into the camera as the Jeopardy credits roll. Because is technically he's right, right. Because right, he's right, right, right technically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He, he knew those people had never been in his kitchen. <laughs> I love the balls of him to write because you actually have to write it down. Yeah. <laughs> and he writes it down, or three guys that had never been in my kitchen. <laughs> It's just, and so that's so. Uh, ever, I believe the name of that episode from season eight is "What Is Cliff Clavin?" If you just want to oh. see what I love about him, watch that one it's episode, so Millennials. Um, you will love it. I actually have a particular. Those of you who know what Jeopardy is, I have a particular quote that I really like. <laughs> if you know what Cheers is, you might know what Jeopardy. Is. <laughs> We're uh, Jeopardy. They don't know Cheers. Jeopardy has been in the news uh, lately, so I'm mm-hmm. sure people know what what Jeopardy is. Yeah. Uh, I remember this one line, and I, I actually repeat it often. Uh, is this is this your this your is my Cliff Clavin? Yeah, All right, is, give it to me. This is the thing that I I just love this joke. Um, I don't remember what the setup is, but I'm just kind of going to kind of get to the punchline, which is all that you need. Um, Cliff Clavin, because he's a know-it-all, says he's quoting a song, but he uses it as an answer. He goes, "Well, uh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain," and then Norm looks at him with the deadpan voice and says, everybody's seen fire and rain. And then Cliff goes, well, then uh, I ain't seen much. <laughs> I just love that joke. It is so good. I remember that. It's a good throwaway line. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I also, that's from an old James Taylor song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, probably most of you don't right. know, but yes. I seen fire right. and I seen he was, Yeah, he was quoting the song just yeah. to just to just to be right about something and then norm just completely knocks it down and he just so politely just gets in his place right away i just love that joke he is the postman he walks up to your house very unassuming he drops off he completes his work and he walks away you know this character does that he just comes in very efficient he takes his job he takes his job seriously. seriously it's almost comedic and that's that's a good well, cliff trait. Right. And it's uh it's actually rare that you see him outside of his mailman uni, right? Right. And um, you know, just to kinda paint the picture for uh, for everyone, it's kinda like denim on denim, right? It's like a kinda like powder no, it's it's like a blue on blue. Yeah. You know, and he's got the black shoes with the white socks that the socks always seem to poke out when he's walking, mm-hmm. you know. He's just so dorky. He's just so unassuming. Cliff's placement as like this, like know-it-all who always just kind of gives you some kind of random fact that nobody really asked for is kind of the modality that the show gives everybody a reason to have a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So even though he's like this annoying kind of outcast mailman weirdo, 
every time he does some fact, whether it's even a, some, sometimes I think he's telling the truth. Sometimes I think he's just kind of making it up. It doesn't matter because in a in the in the context of the patrons of the bar, it basically gins up the conversation of the people that are there. Yeah, he's always got something to talk about. You can always when it's an easy out for the writers, right? Yeah, when anything yeah. He's, he's like a boring device, or yeah. if, or, yeah. or if we a trope, if you will, or if, yes, we, exactly. if we've got a break for yeah. a hard break for commercial, it can probably throw back to him for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's an uh, easy out for any situation. Yeah, he can he can basically kick off the the topic of the episode. He can kick off you know what the dialogue is all about. You know, mm-hmm. he's so random mm-hmm. and so un like unasked for. Uh, it's just a it's a it's a fantastic character. Yeah, I think, and uh, and 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 that is Cliff Clavin. Yeah, but I promise you, you know who John Ratzenberger is, even if you don't know Cliff Clavin. Uh, he's been in so much stuff. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but that's enough waiting around. Hats off to this get Dan. That's a, I think, a great interview. Great job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I Having, can't, having we, heard it, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Well, yeah. if he wanted his dog back, he was going to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, without further ado, Magic Interview Machine, give me a little bit of John Ratzenberger. Meanwhile, hey, everybody, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, This is a big treat, uh, especially for me. Uh, We are sitting here with a a legend, in my opinion. I don't want to lay it on too heavy, uh, but if you need a refresher on his credits, you're woefully unprepared to listen to this. We don't have time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. John Ratzenberger. Hello, Mr. Ratzenberger. Wow, good. I imagine that, like Wyatt Earp. <laughs> I mean, it it is true. You have, well, first of all, I mean, let's just, the uh, the obvious, especially for kids of my generation, uh, Cliff Clavin from Cheers, an iconic character on an iconic show, uh, ran for years and years, back when TV wasn't really supposed to last very long. Uh, and 11 years. 11, 11 years. And that was, yeah. no one could even binge that show if they tried. Now, well, I've talked to people that have. Oh, I've it's, bumped into people that, that uh, have binged uh, 11 years. That's almost three hundred shows. <laughs> I've got I've got uh, some some friends uh, at my parents' age who now that it's on Netflix, it is one thing they will watch for an hour or two a day, and I think right. they might not even have made it to the end of one watch through. It is it is an impressive body of work just right there. Yeah, it was uh, impressive to do it too because of the writing. Uh, it, it was the writers were. People who had grown up, well, when they were younger, they read books. And I think that made all the difference because they understood character development, story arc, and uh, all those things that you learn only by reading. And now when you watch a sitcom, what you're seeing is the results of the writer having grown up watching other sitcoms. That's that's actually – that's a – Pretty good observation. That's exact. There are more references to Cheers on new TV than there were any references to TV on Cheers. It's uh, right. It's you know maybe it's the beast eating its own tail, but my God, the uh, it was one of those shows uh, through my childhood that no matter where I was, you know, in the angsty teen years or the you know 
disobedient, troublemaking, younger years. I could always just sit on the couch with my parents, and it was just, you know, it was like a detente. There was, we were just one happy family for at least those thirty minutes so, every Thursday. So you, so you were a troublemaker, huh? I briefly, briefly, until you know, until until uh, eight o'clock or eight thirty on Thursday nights, and then I got it back in. Now, in your teen years, did you ever find yourself in the back of a police car? Uh, luckily, no. <laughs> ne- oh, so so you you weren't that bad. No, no, yeah, I was. As a matter of fact, this this is a good chance for me to remind my parents how much worse it could have been. Yeah, because that's usually what turns kids around if you're on the border. A uh, set of handcuffs in the back seat of a squad car. <laughs> that, that pretty much does it. Well, I got to tell you, one of my one of my memories during, uh, you know, that like I said, those angsty adolescent preteen years, I was the uh, an episode of Cheers when Cliff was on Jeopardy, and I have such for some reason it is always going to be one of those you know like touchstone memories sitting on the couch and that scene at the end, I was. One of the only times I ever almost had to leave the room for fear of peeing my pants, and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. That was, and that's probably why it sticks in my head so well. Uh, and I know that you, you you're kind of a gifted uh, uh, improvisational actor. I wonder was was all of that the writers, or were you given a little leeway when you guys did that? Well, they you after the second year of Cheers. They started giving me leeway because my background was just that. Um, another American and I, uh, we lived in Europe for 10 years. And we toured Europe with our own improvised comedy shows, just the two of us. And uh, and we did really well. We were, we were faded and uh, given a lot of uh, honors and awards and, and, and such. So by the time I got to Cheers, yeah, I had already been improvising for ten years, and my partner Ray Hassett, uh, he he went off to become a highly decorated uh, homicide detective. Whoa! Um, and he, yeah, he just retired a couple of years ago. But uh, but he's yeah, I mean we're we're still close, and he he said that his uh, improvi- improvising training. Uh, would you, do you have a cough, or was you got a dog there? <laughs> it, was, it was a dog walking by, but that's uh, I gave it a good kick. Oh, and here come the cops. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah, you should, you should just say that you got a bad cough. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> but anyway, he said that that's the the uh, do, doing improvised comedy gave him a lot of training uh, in police work because if you're a halfway decent improviser, and we thought we invented. The system. We had never heard of improvising. We called it making stuff up because <laughs> neither one of us had gone to acting school. But there was he was working as a social worker over there, and uh, I I was a, a journeyman carpenter. And but there's an opportunity arose that hey, the British Arts Council will pay you money uh, if you have an act that you can tour Europe with. So that's what we thought. Let's take a shot at it. Wait, and, uh, I, I feel like there's a step missing there. How did how did this opportunity come up for a social worker and a journeyman carpenter to throw together an improv act? 
Well, we were friends in college. We knew each other from college. We were we were both English majors. And when he got to Europe, where he was based was a place called the Oval House, which was in South London. Um, kind of a rough neighborhood, but that's where he worked. So when I went over to visit him, uh, you know, he was doing the social work, and I picked up some carpentry jobs while I was there because the theater in this social hall, some things needed repairing and blah, blah, blah. And and so little by little, was you know, seeing what was going on, and a lot of the theater groups would use this place as a, as a base before they uh, toured Europe. So that's where we found out that, wait a minute, the, the British Arts Council will give you money to tour Europe. So let's give it a shot. It's, hey, why not? And oh, so we did, and and did it really well. So uh, that's how I started in acting. And you know what? I, I have to assume, given the location and the timing, something in there played into you getting the exposure that landed you on the uh, Empire Strikes Back set. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because doing our, our show, was, we called ourselves Sal's Meat Market. Uh, <laughs> after doing that for about three years, we would uh, get standing room only just by word of mouth. So everybody in the London theater scene knew of us when that meant the casting people too. So whenever there was an American film being made over there, they needed American characters. The call would go out and there was, I was one of them. So I would show up, they'd give me a uniform and whatever the film, whether it was a bridge too far, uh, Hanover street, uh, yeah, like you say, Star Wars, whatever it was. Well, I think I knocked off about 30 films during my time there. My God, that is that is impressive. A bridge too far. I mean, talk about being the American in the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah, especially the fact that I when I got to England, I had literally had $5 to my name. Oh, man. Do you, you, you don't suppose the uh, British Arts Council is going to pay a guy in San Diego anything? Do you? It sounds like this is the gravy train. Well, get get a hold of them, but you got to go, you know, to tell your loved ones and that dog that keeps barking that <laughs> you're going to have to move to, you're going to have to move to Europe. <laughs> well, they would probably buy the ticket, but I don't want to get into that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, one it, way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're only buying the one way. Uh, the uh, another, as long as we're on the subject, I know my producer especially would kill me if I didn't bring this up. But being a part of the Star Wars universe, especially in today's world, that right. that is, I mean, how do you feel? Is it something you want to talk about? Is it something you kind of just casually oh. keep as a feather in your cap? Or I mean, where do you feel you are in that in that in the biggest world in entertainment? What is that? What Star Wars is? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's bringing in the money. I mean, we'll get to Pixar in a second, of course, but you know, Star Wars is doing pretty well for itself. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I'm just appreciative again for starting out as I started. Um, there's much more advantage in going to acting school because you're creating a network. And uh, I didn't have that. And so 
whenever I got a job, whether it was Star Wars, uh, uh, like I said, Bridge Too Far, Gandhi, I was just very appreciative that, oh, okay, I I, uh, I was hired. So I, I guess at some point I, I've learned to do what they need being done. And uh, But it always surprised me whenever I got hired. Are you still surprised? I mean, here's a good way to segue into Pixar. Oh, then, sure. Because you are the only person, I think. I don't know what blackmail material you have over the Pixar people. Yeah. But yeah, Polaroids every... are a wonderful thing. <laughs> but you have been in every one. I mean, as far as I know, when right. they start to make a new movie, they say, all right, where are we going to put John, and let's build around that. Or, I mean, you know, uh, how did that come about? 25 years now that's been going on. That is a John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton question. Because mm. I believe it was the two of them who made that decision. And, and, uh, and you've been afraid to, to ask. Get it right. I don't blame you. No, you know what? Um, they they told me, but if, I, I just feel odd telling that story because it uh, a lot of you know, so you, you pat yourself on the back. You know, you do that too much, you break your arm. <laughs> so I, I would, I, I'd rather they told that story. Uh, fair enough. I'll, I'll get, I'll get, uh, I'll get Andrew and 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 Larry on the line, and I'll I'll get to the bottom of this for you. Don't worry. There you go. But uh, I mean, and in light of that, now we're at Toy Story Four. Ham is still uh-huh. around. Uh, well, I haven't seen yeah. it, so may, maybe uh, I maybe I'm wrong. But the uh, he's there. The I, I mean the the cultural crater that that series has left. I mean, I, I, I'm a grown man, and I know at some point in Toy Story Four, I'm gonna cry, aren't I? Yesterday, I went to the FedEx, you know, the UPS store. I had some stuff to mail out, and all, all the people behind the counter. Asked, they, they wanted my autograph. Um, hand me the fig pictures that they got off the internet. And one of the guys there said he cried three times throughout oh. the movie. Now, I, I, so, and this is the average guy, you know, UPS, he said he cried three times. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'm going to schedule at least three of those in there. Which means I gotta pick my favorite niece or nephew who I know can keep their damn mouth shut to bring. Well, but then that shows you're a sensitive guy, doesn't it? Isn't <laughs> that a plus? Uh, well, I guess. I guess. Hmm. Yeah, maybe the right girl should come with me. Well, you've given there you've given you me go. a lot to think about here, Mr. Ratzenberger. I appreciate that. There you go. Uh, and, uh, t- do you think, do you think that, uh, I'm sure Pixar is going to go on and on, but do you think the Toy Story movies are going to keep coming? Cause this one kind of, I think surprised people, but no one's complaining about it. Do you think though? Well, I, I, I think it, it's, you really have to, uh, think of, in terms of the reality of, I guess, Hollywood. I mean, it's not inconceivable that. Ten years from now, there will be a, a a new regime at uh, uh, Pixar or Disney or 
you know, who makes these decisions, and they may well say, well, let's do another Toy Story. I mean, there's no reason why not. Well, fair point. If you follow the money, it's just uh, you know, for some, the, the quality at Pixar. I know there's a ton of money involved, and especially with Disney now making production decisions. It's got to be kind of profit-driven. But the quality of movies out of that studio has never dipped, which is very rare in Hollywood. Out of, out of, out of Pixar, you mean? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, you're right. They're the, they're the, they're the reason that uh, Disney still exists. Yeah, they're they're and and for when they make a movie, I never think it's going to be a cash grab. I'm like they they had right. a good idea and they fleshed it out. So uh, I guess uh, how how long are you under contract to them? If they say Toy Story 10, we're making it. Be at the studio. Be at the be in the recording booth at eight o'clock. Are you committed to mm-hmm. to that? I, I prefer eight thirty nine o'clock myself. <laughs> uh, Stop and get some breakfast. <laughs> well, there's no. I mean, who is there? Anybody on the face of the earth that would turn down an opportunity to be in a Pixar movie? No, well put, <clears throat> well put. So if 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 they called me and said that, I, I'm not going to be the first one to say, nah, nah I don't think so. I guess. <laughs> I'm I'm playing a game of Jenga here. I I don't have time. <laughs> good, good. I don't. I didn't want you to be the one holding it up. So I'm glad. Now I'm going to have to work on everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I know. You can be assured that it's not going to be me holding anything up. All right. Well, uh, well, I won't keep you too much longer. But I mean, just just a a, a glance at your body of work. What did you do? Run out of questions? <laughs> I I wish I had written more than one down. Oh, well, thank thank God I had right. thank God I had the one to start with. But I do I gotta ask because you've I mean you know as you've already mentioned you know a bridge too far, Empire Strikes Back, of course Cheers, all the uh, Pixar movies, dozens and dozens of TV and movie appearances. Uh, I, and rag, ragtime, the movie Ragtime. You I actually got, I got to work with James Cagney. Oh, good lord! A lot of our listeners won't know that unless we do the uh, "you dirty rat" bit. But that's that's who that is. The one of the biggest global superstars of a couple generations ago. Ever. Well, the interesting thing is, is in speaking, I, I get uh, asked to do a lot of public speaking, and and. Uh, Doing that because I'm on the president's task force for uh, apprenticeship expansion. Uh, <clears throat> neither here nor there, but my point being is in front of audiences of a couple thousand people, I found out that younger people don't know who James Cagney was, Humphrey Bogart, uh, you know, Laurel and Hardy, even. And so that tells me that if you want to be famous, don't go into show business. Don't be an actor. <laughs> and Invent something. Like Steve Jobs or Thomas Edison, Leonardo da Vinci. Then you're famous. Yeah. Well, you're famous if you're famous if you do something that benefits mankind. If uh and you're famous or you're a celebrity as an actor only until the last person of your generation dies. Because you can go through a list of great actors 
Spencer Tracy. Ask your younger friends who that was. Yeah, that's and that and, uh, considered the best actor ever in, on the cinema in Hollywood. That's uh, it. But even but it, but even he said, uh, you know, considering everything else, uh, when it comes to acting, uh, acting is not that big of a deal. Plumbing is. <laughs> he's he's got a point. He's got although well, yeah. Nobody. Well, I guess we all know the Romans invented plumbing, but no, no specific Roman gets credit for it. There's no. You you could still get screwed in the fame department, even if you invent life changing stuff. So keep that in mind, after, kids. After an earthquake or some other disaster, would you rather have a plumber come to your door or an actor? <laughs> Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I wouldn't mind both. Uh, a, a, you know, maybe a, a good journeyman carpenter with a strong improv background. If I could get that, I'm making it through. I'm making it through the apocalypse. I, I think I'm the only one, <laughs> and I charge a lot now. So hey, Ed, and as well you should. And I I will hey, find something to pay you with. Uh, as a matter, and you've got, you know, and people don't maybe realize that you do come from this uh this carpenter background but i remember the uh, made in america yeah, yeah. series and, you know there's it's yeah, uh, yeah. Was, mm-hmm. working with your hands is that uh like like anytime i can fix something or build something which is rare anymore but when i do it i get filled with this pride i can't get anywhere else i that see the appeal but the, the frustration well, but that's where real self-esteem comes from, you know, because they have these, you know, oh, we're going to give everybody a trophy or an award or a ribbon, and they ask why. Says, well, to help their self-esteem. That's just BS. That will do nothing that will hurt their self-esteem more than anything else because the kids know that they came in fifth place, but the only thing that builds self-esteem is if you – Put your hands to something and, and build something. Start from scratch and build. Because 30 years from now, that thing could still be there. Could be a bench or a, a, something in the house, a, a corner table, whatever it is. But every time you look at it, even if it's fixing the screen door, every time you open that door and you look at that hinge, that's self-esteem. I- and we uh, we canceled that 30 years ago the politicians got rid of uh, shop classes in schools and so you know you now you got kids that aren't going to college and what have you left them with and basically you know okay there you go here's a street gang for you <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't want to get off on a rant here but i you know i yeah, i ahead. drive i drive a stick shift and uh, I was talking to a car salesman just just recently, and I mentioned that, and he said, you know, because they're going to stop making them for the American market soon anyway. But he said, you know what? That's actually the best theft deterrent you can have these days. Right. He said you don't even need right. an alarm if you've got a clutch in your car. And I at first I was yeah. extremely proud. I kind of puffed up, and I thought, oh God, that's sad. I mean, that was well. That's but we. We've done that to ourselves by, by you know, cosseting the children. Helicopter parents. Oh, don't get dirty. Oh, you might cut yourself. Oh, don't stay away from that. Oh, 
you know, they don't let kids outdoors anymore. And so now you've got a kid that, hey, he can play video games. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. But but useless when it comes to anything else. Yeah. And you know, but I I, I get that stick shift because I prefer stick shift. And I remember pulling up in front of a hotel and giving the keys to the valet. And the valet chasing me down and said, uh, I, I don't know how to drive your car. <laughs> Wait, how how long ago was that? When did this slide start that you noticed? That was, well, that was about five years ago. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I think it, is, it, it had already started going. I think when I started driving in the early 90s, it was it was pretty much – you had to learn stick shift. Yeah, you know, it was it was all part of the test. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I don't. Yeah, what 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 kind of car are you driving? Uh, I've got a a Honda Civic now, and it was hard that, to that, find a stick. Is that on the floor or the column? Uh, that's on the floor. It's uh, but it's it's gone up to now not a four on the floor or five, but a six on the floor. Oh no, kid! Just a basic, you know, bottom bottom of the line Honda Civic, six speeds nowadays. I was, I was so impressed by that. And then, like I and said, I, they're going to stop making them. So I was then very depressed. Now, is that official? They're going to stop making them? That's what. Uh, yeah, I, uh, he he quoted something to me, and I looked it up later. And yeah, I think it's the year twenty twenty two or something is the last year any of the uh, automakers are planning to release them in the American market. And I think a couple have already stopped. They quietly said, nope, it's going to be all automatics now. Uh, so if you if you want a stick shift, you're going to have to go out and buy a, you know, stock up on them over the next couple of years because then it's got, you're going to have to go to Europe or something. Well, then the, then the problem is going to arise. You've got to find somebody to fix the stick shift. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Clutch cables and so cost not, eight grand. Right, so you're not going to have the people with the skills. It's like today, we're having a hard time finding people that can repair diesel engines, mm. like bulldozers, tractors, etc. Well, that's becoming very rare because they're uh, uh, retiring the older guys. And there's no younger people coming up into that business because we stopped, again, stopped teaching them shop classes. And so we're running out of people that can actually repair the machinery that build the roads and, you know, power the trains and et cetera, et cetera. So that's why uh, uh, President Trump formed this task force, which I, I'm proud to be part of. Yeah, I was, I was going to uh, ask if, if it was your background that got you in it. It sounds like it, yeah. Well, because I've been giving talks on this since I was doing my show Made in America, because that's where I discovered that there's nobody under the age of 45 working in these manufacturing uh, plants. Uh, and I asked around why, and that was the reasoning, that they don't teach shop classes anymore. And so younger people, they'll graduate from high school without the ability to read a ruler. Oh, I mean, if you wrap your mind around that, but that's true. But if you have young people in your life, give them a yardstick and say, show me five and uh, 
three sixteenths. See what happens. Uh, oh. They can't. They can't do it. And that's a danger. That's a danger to us all. I mean, obviously, technology has something to do with it. Uh, but do you think it's it's just a like a cultural shift that was bound to happen, or is it just that we've got a bunch of you know lasers that can measure distance within microns that we don't have to think about, or what? what? No, I more and more I'm thinking that it was a political decision because if you take away people's ability to acquire a skill, they're going to have to be dependent on the government when they're adults. But if you give kids the foundations uh, of carpentry, welding, uh, electrical work, whatever it is, they don't need the government. They can take care of themselves. So at some point, I mean, that decision was made nationwide. I don't know who made the decision or why, but that could be one of the reasons. Well, well it's a it, it's a sad state, uh, and I guess maybe the only good of it is that the the kids who are suffering the most from it have no idea. That right? Is... They they true. They they have no idea that that's even available. And also, don't forget that. Uh, over the last ooh, 20, 30 years, the whole idea of going to college was the be-all and end-all. And if you weren't going to college, then something must be wrong with you. Even though the kids that went out, you know, had shop classes and learned how to uh, repair things and build things, they're all millionaires today. And they didn't have to pay back any student loans. Yeah, and they can they can charge whatever they want today. I, if That's I right. could go back and do it again, I would I would have dropped out of a trade school instead of college. But now, well, and maybe it's not too late. But uh, you know, I as time goes on, I've realized that I just wasn't good at fixing things. I've tried to teach myself. I've tried to learn from others. Uh, and now I'm uh, self-sufficient is generous, but I can do a lot more than I could when I thought I was amazing at 20 years old. But I realize well, you'd be you know, surprised though. It's it usually people who try to teach themselves are are using the wrong tool to accomplish a job because they don't want to go out and buy the tool that they should have. They try to get away with using a butter knife to unscrew <laughs> a, a Phillips screwdriver. Yeah, I'll get so, these screws out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where the problem lies because. They convince themselves that they can't do it. it. Has nothing to do with that. It's just they're using the wrong tool. And I've seen that hundreds of times. People, you know, somebody, you show them the right tool, uh, piece of cake. It's it's. Well, I I I just wonder, like, and maybe this is just me being wistful for myself, but like, I don't. I'm never gonna. Even if I can learn a little bit about, you know, being an electrician and doing electrical work, I am never going to have the yeah. confidence to tackle a real electrical situation. I'm always going to be scared of that. You know, I can, you know, I can turn off yeah, the water. I can replace a, an entire, uh, you know, toilet if need be. It's going to, I'm going to have to buy a couple new tools and I'm going to have to spend the entire day doing it, but I'm confident I could do it. 
but there are some things that I don't think I'm ever going to be comfortable doing, no matter what my intentions are, no matter how hard I yeah. try to learn it. I'm I'm the same way with electricity. I mean, I can I can build a house and everything in it, but I would still call someone else to come in and and, and wire the house <laughs> that knows what that knows what they're doing because. You make a mistake with that, which I did once. I touched a live wire. It was uh, 220 volts. Oof. It was over in Eng- it was over in England, and it threw me across the room. It threw me in the air, probably about 15 feet across the room. But I was about two, three feet in the air, Good. and uh, luckily I made it. You know, <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, but yeah, yeah, because you really have to know what you're doing and and be on your game for that. But the other thing is, are you married? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Well, see, chicks dig a guy who owns a toolbox and knows how to use the tools. I, I should have gotten a bait. jump on this right out of college. You're you're right. See that? You see that? Don't be shy about you know bragging about it, but. Because right. a, a woman, who would she rather be with? Some guy who can, is self-sufficient or some guy who's helpless? Well, uh, i got to tell you, in my experience, depends on the woman. But I get your point. There you go. All right. I rest my case. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why uh, at least uh, one day a week I try to leave the house wearing carpenter pants. There's uh, The hammer keeps slipping out every time I get in the car, but you know, as I pick it up, put it back in. So far, I'm getting no takers, but uh, I well, feel well, better. You've you, you got to put a head on the hammer. Don't just use the handle. That'll slip through. You're right. Well, well see, there you go. This this is well, what I needed in high school when I was ditching shop class. Someone to tell me these things. Oh, no, shop. That's the most important class. Oh, I That's do. remember. And I remember taking it when it was still part of the curriculum, and this was back in the early 90s. It was already, like, uh, relegated to just, uh, you know, like, a one, one, not even a whole semester, like a half semester. And then you would go and do a half semester of home ec, uh, half semester of, like, chorus, and that was it. And they just got all the interesting stuff out of the way in that one year. And then it was on to just the math and social studies and stuff like that. You see, what the knuckleheads didn't realize is that if you're taking shop classes, you're measuring, you're learning about angles, percentages, and it makes things like algebra and math a lot easier because you've had a practical application of 45-degree angle of, you know, measuring with a micrometer, whatever it is, but then it makes the theory stuff that you do in class, algebra, physics, it makes that a lot easier and you understand it better. Well, and and that's, and it, like I said, back then, even when it was still like part of the regular curriculum, it was so rushed through, I just remember making kind of a crappy birdhouse that was crappily right. identical to all the other kids, and after nine weeks, that's it. We left the, uh, you know, the wood shop room, and we never returned. Yeah, because that's because you said the '90s, so it's it was a after the '60s. '68 was Woodstock, and when all those people from that generation, the baby boomers, got into the educational system, 
that's that times out about right. So they become young teachers and they're there for, you know, 15, 20 years. Then they are in charge of the school systems right around the time you're talking about. And I got, cause I helped build a stage at Woodstock. So that was my generation. I was actually a, Good God, uh, uh, Ratzenberger! You helped build the stage at Woodstock too. Yeah, I was on the construction crew for Woodstock, but I also I was a heavy equipment operator, uh, tractors and whatnot. Then, but uh, I, I just happened to be nearby doing another job, and somebody said their job's going, and uh, so I went down there and stood in line, and uh, yeah, it was so I You're got like a job there. Freaking Forrest Gump. How did you end up in the right place at the right time that many times? No, it's just it's basically I left home when I was about 18, 19. And, you know, Jack Kerouac on the road and, you know, just, uh, I was uh, working at a carnival. You had your years from... of shop uh, education. You were ready to go. All right, I got you. Well, but I also grew up in and amongst people who knew how to use tools. Whether it was fixing cars, building houses, uh, welding, so my whole neighborhood, everybody knew how to do something. So at 14 years old, uh, me and my buddies would, you know, find an old boat that washed up in a hurricane, and we'd patch it up, we'd repair it ourselves, and mm. you know, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. <laughs> but what we were, what we were doing was problem solving. And that was the important part of it. As young people, we were permitted to solve problems. Basically, we had parents that didn't hover over us to tell us we can't do that or don't do that. Or it was just get out of the house. That was that was the, the rule for parents. Your kids were in the house. Said, go on, get out of here. Go, <laughs> go find something to do. Yep. So yep. consequently, we... we you know, we learn things, and that's that's the, that's the big difference. But yeah, so the Woodstock generation they ruined the educational system because they you know they come to work on unicorns, <laughs> and uh, they ha- they have all these theories and how the world should be, and uh, and taking carpentry courses wasn't part of it because it's either too macho or it's not sensitive enough or some stupid reasoning <laughs> but in doing in doing so it's it's hurt the civilization now now I will say this though because what you're describing almost perfectly there was my uh drama teacher back at the the back when I took the 9 weeks of shop and she was definitely the the uh the 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 hippie generation very kind of soft uh but uh, she did have a passion for drama, but she was the one who taught me all about Bogart and Jimmy Cagney and Spencer Tracy. She used to say, I looked just like Spencer Tracy when I was young, and I, that made me want to – who was this? And so I started watching all those movies, and I, if it weren't for her, I would have just been nodding along to, the, to, to, to all the mentions of these – this generation has lost that too – but I will say that at the very least, she did pull that from the generation before and shared it with me. Um, did did uh, you uh, have a viewing of uh, Captain's Courageous? Do you know that film with Spencer Tracy? 
Ooh, I'm familiar with That's, the name. I don't think I've ever seen that one, though. Who else is in that? Captain's career of Freddie Bartholomew. Hmm. And, and uh, 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 well, there was a whole, whole bunch of stars, but the story itself is about what we're talking about. It's a spoiled brat kid, uh, falls off his father's yacht, is picked up by a Portuguese fisherman played by uh, Spencer Tracy. And, uh, well, I don't want to ruin the story, but it's a terrific movie. Oh, that's... And, uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to cry at the end, but... <laughs> what what are you doing must- this to me, Ratzenberger? It's a, it's a must-see for anybody who's raising a child. All right, that all right. I'm I'm literally writing that one down. Captain's Courageous, which I have heard of the title, uh, but no, that doesn't ring a bell. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, Spencer Tracy. Yep. And I still got a soft spot for Spencer Tracy. Oh, he's good. The greatest right. actor ever. Mm-hmm. High high pray. I I don't know if he was very handy with uh with a hammer and nail, but. I I have respect for him and his craft, even if most of the world has kind of forgotten him. Well, he's the one who said plumbers are more important than actors, and I uh, I swear by that. Yeah, shot himself on the foot with that one. Well, not really. I mean, because it's true. I mean, before I do anything, someone is going to build the building you're going to be doing that in. When I speak at universities, I always start off by saying. Never assume you're smarter than the man who put the bricks together of this building. Oh, oh never yeah. assume that. No. Because people assume that. Mm-mm. That's uh, but, yeah. we we should always be constantly in awe, or at least I think I am because of my limited skill set. But you know, I mean, I have moments if I'm driving through the desert in the middle of the night, you know, coming back from visiting family or something. And I realized, like, I would be dead here in the middle of the Southwest, three in the morning in the middle of Arizona, if it weren't for this car that someone far smarter than me was able to put together, this road that someone uh-huh. far more ambitious than I paved for thousands of miles, you know, the the street lights on an electrical grid that I will never touch. You know, there is so much that's gone into this world. That if, if yeah. it wasn't, I would just be a feral monkey. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I stand on the shoulder on the shoulders of giants, and uh, that's why, like you say, when I recently repaired a uh, a window screen about a week ago, and now every time I walk past it, I I stop for a minute, rub my chin, and really give myself a good pat on the back. Well, and well, you should. That that is what self esteem really is. You've got it. You've cracked the, the secret. All right. Well, uh, you you have you have filled me up. I am gonna I am gonna tackle a couple of projects I've been putting off today. Uh, maybe a little bit out of guilt, but mostly out of this burgeoning self esteem. Well, you go. I'm glad I can help you out. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll do the same. All right. There you go. I'll I'll feel better about that. Um, all right. Well, I don't I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You've been very kind. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I know we got a little off topic, and I have no regrets about that. Uh, but I don't know if you had anything uh, you were contractually obligated to plug here. Uh, I don't want to stop that from happening. I don't want us in trouble with the PR people. 
Uh, I couldn't tell you. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I enjoy I enjoyed the chat. So let's leave it at that. Perfect. I like it. And you know what? Anytime, anytime you're bored or uh, if you got any uh, questions about uh, about flanges, uh, U-bolts, or anything like that, feel free. <laughs> Give me a call. I'm reading up all the time, getting better and better. That's funny because I always describe my character Cliff on Cheers. His his version of himself is he thinks he's the wingnut that holds civilization together. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you mentioned you bolt, I immediately thought of that. <laughs> Did uh, uh uh I feel like there was a question I'd oh, the the improv oh no, we did cover that. You know what? You've given me so much more we, than I could have asked for. We covered everything. We could write a book. I like well, and you know what? That's something else I would love to do before I, I die, but I don't know if I've got it in me. I'm I'm gonna keep trying. Well, start with a box of crayons and a coloring book, and you'll be well on your way. <laughs> God bless you. Well, thank you, Mr. Ratzenberger. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, Toy Story 4, everybody, in case you hadn't heard, it's out there. Let's all go check it out. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, boy, do you have any questions for me? Oh, let's see. Let's see. What time is the tide high today? Uh, I'm going to say probably about 127, high tide. Oh, great. Just uh, just enough time to go to the bait shop. All right. right. Now I got to go call my parents and let them know I talked to you. So have a good day. (laughs) Be strong. (laughs) We'll see you later. Thank you. I'm no mama's boy. Oh, Johnny calls his own shots. Case in point, my cereal's oatmeal raisin crisp. It's Boku delicious. Sweet crispy flakes topped with a delectable brown sugar and rolled oat crunch, plus raisins and almonds. All considered sacred foodstuffs among your ancient Patagonians. I love oatmeal raisin crisp. I'm my own man, ma. Look, ma! I'm eating my oatmeal! And remember, the bowl with the yellow duckies is mine. Oh my God! I had totally forgotten. You remember that at all? How they? Yeah, yeah. When he was the spokesman, I think for maybe that one or two ads, but that was him as Cliff Clavin. Yeah, selling that, selling uh, yeah, uh, raisin oatmeal. Uh, that's yeah. that's insane. I totally forget they <laughs> they just totally pulled a sitcom character. I wonder even how the legality of that works. You don't because you don't see that because you, you never, never say Cliff Clavin. It you could totally do it. It's just John Ratzenberger being a dork who lives what, with his was mom. Was he wearing like a postal uniform? In it? Nope, nope. He's just wearing like a. Which you could probably get away with because Cheers doesn't own that. No, NBC he's just, can't. No, own he's just wearing like uniform. a. It's like he's shopping at Eddie Bauer. That's what he looks like. But uh, which which we or all just, get the sense. He's doing all the time. Uh, uh, hey, welcome back, everybody. So there you go. Thanks for sitting through that. I I had a lot of fun. That was talking the best. to John Ratzenberger. Oh, Grim, Even though Grim, that that interview was so amazing. Again, hats off, man. Yeah. Was, it was. Uh, you're all just being kind because Nothing he barely would acknowledge that he's an actor. Well, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's good. Which was good. Yeah. I mean, that's especially what's... given his carpenter past and the fact uh-huh. that he's already basically he can retire anytime he wants. 
uh, but he's still willing to at least put up with a conversation with he's, he's like an accessible Harrison Ford. But yeah. but that's what's great about it is uh, <laughs> you know he didn't really plug too much. I mean, we can plug him all day long and but but you guys had a genuine conversation, right? Like yeah. a, a genuine chin wag and yeah. It, yeah. yeah. As, as much yeah, yeah. as it could. Yeah, sure. yeah, you know the I mean, the best thing that we could possibly hope for, whenever we bring our listeners this audio, we want you to – we really want you to, like, be able to answer the question, what's he like? You know, like, what is this guy like? Cause, because none of us can have a conversation with John Ratzenberger on the phone. I couldn't see him. I don't know if Dan was on Skype and could see him, but I picture him wearing, like, a ball cap, like a trucker cap, <laughs> like possibly a flannel shirt and maybe a deer hunter jacket or, uh, like, a Marty Here's- McFly down jacket. Uh, vest, a vest. Yeah. I mean, well, like, it was yeah. a, it was a fishing vest. Oh yeah, that's oh, what you you were close, yeah. but it was utilitarian because I think we picked up the. He's a pretty utilitarian guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's, that's he's fantastic. in the. I'm not kidding, like Forrest Gump. Yeah, the guy just lucked into he's so t- many pop culture moments. Mm-hmm. Right, right. He's touched everything. I yeah. mean, and as a matter of fact, since he wouldn't do it, let's go ahead and give you a quick rundown of at least a handful of some of his credits. Uh, uh, Jimmy, would you be so kind? Give us a little IMDb reading just so people get the idea. Uh, we need uh, some theme, some theme music. You want to play that? Yeah. Hey, yeah. take it away, maestro. IMDb reading. Oh, yeah. Read that database. So okay, so I'm really going to touch on IMDb lightly because there's so much here, and we've really got a little bit of time. But I really, my first thing I want to mention that I was hoping you got to in the interview, and again, I'm jealous you got that interview. Great get, but you didn't but get to my favorite. Nah, that's fair. But my <laughs> favorite role, Cliff uh, John Ratzenberger, is Controller Number One in Superman. Controller Number One. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's in charge of the missiles that they steal, right? That like Luther steals. Yep. So okay. In the and original that, Superman original. One Donner movie. Correct. In Superman Number Two, he's he's been upgraded to Controller Number One. In, in, no, no, right. no, no, no. But also, he is he's Missile Command in Superman the movie. He's NASA in Superman Two. So he went from NORAD to NASA. Yeah. And he's a controller. Yeah. Right. So this is a promotion. And then we mentioned uh, he mentioned uh, Rebel Force Major Derlin from uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yep. And what's really cool is he seemed to be barely aware he was even in that movie. Yep. <laughs> he didn't care. Like uh, in his words, I just I did a job. Well, and actually, um, I just attended Star Wars Celebration Chicago uh, back in April or May. I forget. But anyway, John Ratzenberger was at Star Wars Celebration in Chicago. Signing autographs, and he had a line, and there was a lot of interest in him yeah. as a Star Wars character. It's not like, he, look, Cheers and but if it had been that, like Billy Matthews, insurance adjuster who never did anything else, who played no. that character, he he might still be at the con, but he wouldn't have a John Ratzenberger. You, line. Correct. I just you had some thoughts there. on his one line that he delivers in Empire. Well, he and, actually, and he actually, um, yes, he's, he famously plays Major Durland. He has two lines. The character has two lines in Empire Strikes Back. One of them is dubbed over. Right. And the it's, second one is John Ratzenberger's actual voice. 
Um, why don't we play that clip really quick just so we know what we're talking about. Sir, Commander Skywalker hasn't come in the south entrance. He might have forgotten to check in. Not likely. Are the speeder's ready. Uh, Understood? All right. All right. And yeah. uh, barring any uh, technical difficulties, you just heard John Ratzenberger say one of his two lines yeah. in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> or maybe both. We don't know. Okay, uh, but Great yeah, so stuff he, for a podcast, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and so famously, uh, he actually um, he played a character that has two lines in Empire Strikes Back. One of them they dubbed over, and the second one you clearly you can clearly hear that it's John Ratzenberger, uh, yeah. a guy from I, I, uh, a, a guy from Connecticut. The the, mm-hmm. the line I, I believe was uh, "Get your head down, Nam." No, no, he does not say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I'm glad that you I'm I'm glad that you facetiously. Here comes the empire. I'm glad that you facetiously <laughs> said that because it's okay to um, laugh, Jimmy. I do okay want to like I do want to point out that <laughs> let me go kick that dog. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out that as a Star Wars fan, uh, I grew up not really realizing that Cliff Clavin was in it was in Empire Strikes Back. It kind of sounds like so did John Ratzenberger. Yeah, I think so too. But if you think back at the moment where John Ratzenberger is in Empire Strikes Back, it's a really desperate, awesome moment. Oh, you're it's talking just, about when they think they're going to lose Han. They're, they're going to lose Han and Luke. They have to close the doors because it's so, it's so cold on Hoth that they have to close the doors at night. And there's this moment where the major Durling character looks at Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher, obviously, and he says, you know, this guy is the this guy is the chief. This guy's in charge of the whole base right now in this in this particular decision. He's not asking Princess Leia for the authority to close the door. He's just kind of telling her that he has to do this. But there's this moment where he gives her a chance to acknowledge what he's saying. I want everybody to go back and listen to that moment. It's really, really brief. And that's actually a dubbed voice <laughs> mm-hmm. of John Ratzenberger. But the performance is there. It's really well captured. And there's just this subtlety to that to that moment that's so sweet and so precious. Um, and then they have to close the door. Chewbacca screams, and it's a great moment. And it breaks into that music. Chewie's like, and it's so amazing. So that's John Ratzenberger. He and the only reason why that he was circumstance, isn't it? The only reason why he was even there is because he's an American who happens to be acting and happens to be living in London. Yep. Uh, Hey, there you go. Like I said, freaking Forrest Gump. Yeah, and he's and he's signing autographs. Ass backwards into stuff like this and doesn't phase him at all. Uh, But. I think now it's time to address what everybody alive today who is shelling out money to go to movies would know him from, Pixar. 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 I could say Toy Story. I could say Monsters University. I could say Coco. It doesn't matter. He is in every single 
one. The you, only person that can say that. Right. Yeah, you guys, every the, single one. The only voice actor who has appeared in every Pixar, and theoretically, as long as he's around and working, he's going to be in every one, yeah, according to him. Right. The so-called um, Lucky Charm for Pixar yeah, movies. Right? exactly. That's he, uh, the official story is he is Pixar's Lucky Charm. Yeah. And apparently it's working because they are worth billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Uh, John Ratzenberger who's been in Superman 1 and 2, has been in Empire Strikes Back, and has been in every single Pixar movie, is one of the highest-grossing actors alive today. Not him personally. He is right. not a trillionaire. Don't no, do no, that. no, but, you're right, right. But he does if, not qualify if you, movies he that was he... in some of the biggest blockbusters, yes. the through line of his career is that uh, he is in, I guess, everything that makes Money. the record. <laughs> like, yeah. he is in... He's the Probably lucky charm. six or seven of the top ten grossing movies of all time. Let's get back I'm to IMDb guessing. reading. Yeah. So oh, what, what oh, else you got? Back to, well, uh, there, just, give me a rundown just on his Pixar. Pixar. Just Pixar. Just We're so you guys about, know, this is where his voice is in each movie. So you're going to recognize him definitely as Ham. Ham. The Piggy Bang. Piggy Bang Pig. That's in four movies now. P.T. Flea from A Bug's Life. Abominable Snowman. Probably recognize him in that. Uh, the Moonfish, the School of Moonfish from Finding Nemo. He's the underminer in The Incredibles that's 1 and 2. That's a good role. That's a good role. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of my favorites. Mac the Truck in the car series, the guy that takes uh, Lightning McQueen everywhere. They get to be pretty good buddies. Uh, Mustafa the Waiter in Ratatouille. Not one of my favorites, but I've, I mean, I've definitely seen I most of You pronounce it with disgust. I've in never your, seen it. Ratatouille. John and Wally. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure who that was. Oh well, he's uh, he's the uh, big fat guy who starts a relationship with a big fat lady. <laughs> okay, his name was John. Tom, the construction worker, and up, he says something about his he says, uh, he says mailbox, words. right? Yep. Yeah, he's got a couple lines. Gordon, the guard and brave. Fritz in Inside Out. I think he's one of the guys inside the brain that controls the memories, uh, the that, little balls of memories. That sounds right. Yeah, Earl, the Velociraptor and the good dinosaur. Bill, the crab and Finding Dory. And uh, I apologize to for this pronunciation, but Juan Ortodancia in Coco. Juan Ortodancio. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> well, well. And you, then you, which no, brings us to it, Toy a... Story Four, where he's uh, Ham again. Yep, there you go. He's reprising that role, but it does mean he's he's in every single every one. single one. As Not as a starring role. The guy is a perpetual like uh, you know he built the set at Woodstock. And he is holding up great ensemble cast his entire career. It's <laughs> a good way. Does to that play. sound? Does that sound good? No, I think that's. I think that's fantastic. And you know, and 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 he's he is a voice behind so many characters in other movies that are not even Pixar. Was Inside Out a Pixar? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Never mind. He was. I guess uh, it was in there. Fritz the yeah. Brain Guy. But um, but yeah, I mean, he's been in. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm looking through his IMDb. Of course, he's been a voice in The Simpsons. Uh, yeah. yeah of Probably as Cliff Clavin. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going maybe to so. Maybe so. Um, he also played Cliff in... Clavin on Wings. Oh yeah, T- uh, tell me about that. You were I don't remember that. He, yeah, there was one episode uh, towards the end of the run of Wings, which by the <laughs> I love for Wings. you millennials. Yeah, yeah. Wings was another NBC sitcom based on a Nantucket airport small cast, the small ensemble cast. Uh, it's where Thomas Hayden Church Joseph and Church. Uh, Tony, uh, Tony Shalhoub, Shalhoub. Yeah. kind of got their springboard from, uh-huh. uh, and he and Norm. Okay. Both showed up just kind of randomly on the plane, whatever. It was a crossover, and it turns out then that Wings is in the same universe as Cheers. 
It was not a direct spinoff. Right. Not like Frasier or the Fratellis. Or the Fratellis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About, about Nick, what Carla's ex husband. That, that uh, probably happened a uh, season, well, it was episode uh, code 7BFE104. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All you wings heads out there. Go ahead. Look that go up. Ahead, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> it, I know it was later on. I think they were still trying to, no pun intended, prop up. Cross Prima? Uh, yes, there was a lot of that on the. Remember they? Uh, I, I believe it was actually the, all after Cheers was over to give it extra punch. Mm-hmm. Like a season or two later, they said, "Hey, guess what, viewers? You get to see Cliff and Norm one more time." Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. it's the best. That's the best. Yeah, terribly cheesy and cheap, but they they did it, and they were in you know five minutes of mm-hmm. uh, of, a, of an episode of Wings. Uh, obviously, he played winkingly his own character in some serial uh, commercials. That's we just played. So for you. Cliff yeah. Clavin. Has existed in multiple universes. Mm-hmm. He transcends media. He's he's a Thanos. <laughs> you might say. Am <laughs> yeah. I stretching? No, I think you're right. I think he's Thanos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, but he's here because he's that one guy in that one. He's that one guy in that Pixar voice. He's the he's he is the yeah. most he is the thread that that goes through all the Pixar movies. You. If you've ever seen a Pixar movie, which has been one of the greatest accomplishments of Hollywood over the last 25 years, has been Pixar. This goes back to Steve Jobs, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. he, he uh, it was all it, Steve Jobs. It was an offshoot of the Apple yeah, drive. I mean, they used the technology. We'll do a whole show about Pixar one day. Yeah, but, just to fill you idiots in. And this guy has been a part of it since the beginning, and he continues to be a part of it, and he will until the end. Um, and it's just – it's amazing. Well, probably until see. his end. I think Disney is going to keep pumping animatronic I, fluid into Pixar as long yeah, as yeah. – yeah. yeah. Pixar will outlive him, outlast yeah. him. It will probably outlast, outlast all of us. Yeah, oh, yeah. without question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, you know – Massive EMP excluded. Yeah, yeah. Um, but You've been even, warned. Now, can we go back into some of the deeper cuts that he says? Like, you know, what are some of the most amazing things that he's been in? Even you know way way before Cheers, way before Pixar. Oh, good. he was in like uh, a bridge to during his time in England when he was just like a stock. Uh, we need an American for a war movie we're doing. He was in uh, a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean that's Sean Connery, Robert Redford, James Caan. I mean this, that's a that's a what they would call a premier picture these days. These days, those days, any days. Uh, Happy days. Ha- <laughs> he worked. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna rock around the clock. Has he ever been in Happy Days? I don't even know. I, mean, I don't, no, don't think look, he was in Happy look. Days. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. but I mean, he was in all those '80s, you know, Magnum PI, Equalizer. Uh-huh. I bet he had roles in all of those, just like pretty much all of our that one guys. So that should qualify him there. Yeah, but you know, but he's never really played a bad guy. A lot of times, uh, well, that, in, uh, that in one guy's the Underminer. Shows, probably, yeah. Well, <laughs> the Underminer, point. you're right. He absolutely yeah. is is the bad guy. But like a lot of that one guys, you know, are Vernon Wells or Michael Ironsides or William Sadler's. Yeah. Um, they usually play the bad guy. But you know, John Ratzenberger's not. John Ratzenberger is kind of the normal guy. He's kind of us in a way. Most of the time, you yeah. see him. The normal guy who's right on the edge. You heard it here first. <laughs> on the cliff. Yeah, on, on, on the, the cliff. cliff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm going to stick with that. I think I think that that name was not accidental. Eh, we all got to drown with something in our arms. Uh, yeah. You know, 
you might be onto something with some of those names. I don't know about Cliff, but it is. If he's a guy is, on the edge, he's a guy on the edge. He he's did just draw, barely hanging you're, on. You're painting him as a guy who's going to come into the show with a gun and kill everyone, like right. a mailman. I, yes, I don't like. That. I do. I. I'm sorry. That was not Cliff. Clayton. Let me. Let me. A just mailman that. does that many times. While I disagree with that, I do agree. You pointed out that he's the mail guy and he drops off stuff and he does. As you were saying that, I realized. His role on the show is he just sits there and just drops off little bits of information, yeah. like, just, like letters. He, he delivers just, lines. He just, yeah. yeah, boom, 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 boom. And that, you know, he's always got something to talk about. You can always, when it's an easy out for the writers, right? Yeah. And yeah. He's, he's like a boring device. Or, yeah. if, or yeah. if we, a trope, if you will, or yes, if, we, exactly. if we've got a break for yeah. a hard break for commercial, it can probably throw back to him for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, yeah. He, he's an uh, easy out for any situation. Yeah, he can. Yes. That that is that is Cliff Clavin to a T. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, guys, I think we can probably uh, use a little Cliff Clavin to to get ourselves out of the end of this episode because that's probably been about enough of this. Uh, hey, Cliff, watch this. Cliff, come here. Uh, we're we're just gonna go ahead and take a drive with your girlfriend and leave you here. Uh, you don't mind, do you? Oh, uh, you don't mind, do you? Oh, I I don't mind. <laughs> That's fine. I don't care. I Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.